Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Film Club Podcast, where every week, me and Miss Boo sit down and talk about some movies. So let's uh, talk about some movies. Yeah, and we're starting off a new month. It's March. Yep. So it's Mob Movie March. Yeah, and uh, this is your month, so you got to pick all the movies. So. I did, and we're starting off with a movie I haven't seen. I love mob movies, but I haven't seen all of them. Hmm. So I kind of wanted to push myself and you know see the things that I haven't seen yet. So today we're starting off with Once Upon a Time in America, and my god, it's a long movie. <laughs> I, I'm really proud of you, you know, picking something outside the box, but you... You picked the four-hour movie to start with. I'll say that when I started this movie, it was sunny outside, and when I finished the movie, the sun was setting. Yeah, yeah. I don't know about you, but I really kind of got into it. I, granted, about two hours in, I stopped realizing how long it was, but when it ended, I realized my ass had completely fallen asleep. No, the whole time I knew how long it was going. <laughs> I mean, I was intrigued by the story, so that was keeping me going, but I was just like, damn, this isn't going to end, or I'm somehow going to be transported to 1920s New York and not be able to fight my way back to modern day. Well, that, that's a whole movie in and of itself. It is, but luckily, we're back. We are, we are, and we get to talk about Sergio Leone's final film, arguably his magnum opus, depending on which cut you watch, and this movie is great. Yeah. This might be De Niro's best performance, I don't know, but it's this is such a good film. I love De Niro, and I have some other roles where I think that's his best performance, but in this movie, yeah, he does a very, very good job of being Mr. Noodles. Yes, Miss, Mr. David um, Aronson, otherwise known as Noodles. And how, how he did he get that name, Noodles? I had been trying to figure that out since the movie ended. Actually, since the movie started, and I heard his name was Noodles. I'm like, how do you get that? Like, is that like a just a nickname you pick up as a kid? Is it a dick reference? Like, what... What's what's the meaning behind this? I mean, I don't think anyone wants to be named Noodles, you know, as a dick reference. That's pretty bad. That's pretty, that is pretty bad. <laughs> but this movie, there is just so much to talk about. Uh, originally, when we were scheduling this, I wanted to opt for the two-hour cut because two hours is much more doable than four hours. But after watching the movie in its entirety, yeah, you need the longer cut to be able to get the full story. And even with the four-hour cut, you don't get the full story. Yeah, um, I, I guess before we get into, like, the cuts and the production and all that stuff, for the broad overview, uh, the plot of the film, I guess. Mm -hmm. The story follows Noodles, played by Robert De Niro, as he gets called out of hiding by a mysterious figure that wants him to pull off one last job back in his home, you know, of New York City. And as he goes there, he starts trying to unravel the mystery of who discovered him while he was in hiding, and he starts reminiscing about his past life as this gangster back in the 1920s when he was a little kid. And how he, by the time 1930s rolls around, he rises up and becomes kind of a force in the New York mafia scene. And it all ends when he believes all of his friends have been killed in a botched bootlegging job. Yeah. It is a fascinating story. A lot of emotion. Yeah. I, I was expecting, you know, it's a mobster movie, we're going to have a lot of killing, a lot of action, <laughs> which we do. It, it gets very graphic, but no, there's a lot of hurt and sadness and so much solitary. Regret. Oh yeah, solid the solitude nature of the 68 sequences, where we have Old Man Noodles, it is so depressing. That is a lot of what this movie is, It's it's very solemn, 
and it's very sad. It's not like a lot of other gangster movies. No, especially since, it, for me, it kind of reminded me of Gangs of New York, that kind of grittiness of New York, mm-hmm. and, you know, the, the much earlier days of our country, and it's like, and this is kind of the same thing where, you know, you see the kids running around in the streets, there's no, you know, real parents that are kind of corralling them, except for, what's his name, Fat Mo. Yeah, Fat Mo, but Fat Mo is just, like, one of the other kids to begin with, he's just... He not is in the life. He's not in the life, but we see at least his dad is present in him, in his and his sister's life. Yeah. Versus the other kids where they're kind of just roaming the streets and, you know, you hear noodles with, yeah, you know, my mom's crying and the lights are out. So that probably means my dad, you know, already beat her. So you, yeah. you kind of get a, a little bit of a, a window into these kids' lives of, you know, it's not the best situation at home. So they're creating their own family out on the street. And it's really telling because you never see any of their parents in this movie. No. Man, I'm gonna like I love talking about this movie. But before we get into like all that stuff, how this movie came to be, because I was not lying, this was supposed to be Sergio Leone's magnum opus. Yeah, he spent ten years trying to get this movie made. And you were complaining about Tarantino spending five years making Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I know, and I I feel like such a fool. But that's that's different because Tarantino, I feel like he just took his sweet time working that out, right? But with Leone, he was actively trying to get money, actively doing the script. I believe in the production meeting that got it greenlit, he acted out the entire six-hour movie. That's a long meeting. It is, and apparently it was riveting. But here's the thing. You notice how he said six hours? Mm-hmm. That's because originally he envisioned this as two three-hour movies that were going to be in two parts, like Godfather 1, Godfather 2. Mm-hmm. Or Back to the Future, Back to the Future 2, yeah. you know, things like that. And he couldn't get approved for that. Or he filmed it. Like, I guess that footage does exist. Yeah, there's eight to ten hours of footage of this movie. So, I mean, I think it would be interesting to see a ten-hour cut. So you get the full story. There's nothing on the floor. There's no questions. Just entire movie. Yeah, which that would be something crazy to watch, right? Yeah. Because... Though the movie is four hours long, and you were mentioning it, it does the movie feel fat in any way? Because to me, um, it feels like actually a pretty lean, direct movie at this four-hour length. No, no, it, it's very lean, and there's nothing where it's kind of like, okay, the scene is just dragging on for too long. It moves pretty fast. It's just a there's movie, a lot of it. There's a lot of it. We're jumping back and forth. It's not going, you know linearly linearly yeah it's a lot of um it's a lot of flashbacks yeah so it's you know you kind of have to really stay focused when you're watching this movie because one minute you could be in the 20s and noodles as a kid and then we jump and you know suddenly noodles is an old man and then you know he's in the prime of his life so it's kind of like what's going on Mm. but overall it's a good story yeah and that was Sergio Leone's main thing when he was talking to producers and everything like that was the length of the movie it doesn't matter as long as the story is engaging people aren't gonna realize it's a four-hour five-hour movie he's like and the story is loosely based on the hoods yeah the the novel which is supposed to be a autobiographical story of the author or at least loosely based on his own life but that's the thing Sergio Leone read that book the hoods and he thought, great, engaging story. Mm-hmm. He was planning this long cut of it. And production company was like, no, you got to cut it down. So he cut it down to this four-hour cut. Yeah. Or there's there's like a four-and-a-half-hour cut that premiered at Cannes. And at Cannes, 
it got a 20 minute standing ovation they're like this is a masterpiece mm-hmm. greatest work this this will cement him as the auteur of all time yeah and then the production company the lad company they get a hold of it then they're like okay there's no way in hell we're releasing a four or five hour movie in theaters we'll just cut it down to two we'll cut it down to two and that's the thing that's why in america the theatrical cut is considered one of the worst gangster films ever Mm -hmm. made and then it wasn't until like god the 90s when it got to to vhs that we got to see the european cut which is the three hour 49 minute the cut we watched yeah and uh do you know anything about the american cut no haven't seen it don't know anything about it except from what i've heard from you and from uh research is that it's terrible yes there's even a story with james wood where he talked to a critic and he's like oh my god that movie you were in was absolutely garbage and then the 90s came around and the European cut came here. And he was like, yeah, you know, I, I rescind what I said about that. I'm like, you were this, a masterpiece. Like, this was amazing. And this is probably one of the best movies of the 80s to come out. Oh, yeah. I mean, because the American cut that got released, it was all put in chronological order. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which no. doesn't, doesn't work, No, right? it doesn't work. And not only that, they cut down almost all the kids' stuff. Like, almost all the kid stuff it goes from, like, being an hour plus of the movie to but, being, like, 20 or 30 minutes. But the kid stuff is so important. It's important to see where all of these mannerisms that we see in them as adults has been cemented in, and they really haven't grown from childhood. Another point that it's also, like, really bad. Yeah. And that's the other thing. So much of the other cut reorders everything. Huge scenes are just lost. That's why it's so hard to follow. Mm-hmm. But... The cut that we watched is great. Yeah. But what is a Sergio Leone film without Ennio Morricone? Because he had to bring him from the Dollars trilogy. Yeah, and that score, even though it isn't a giant score to go with this movie, where, you know, we have track after track, we have, like, our two themes that play throughout the movie. But and they're. A couple incidentals. Yeah, and things but, like but that. they're beautiful. Oh, yeah. That weird pan flute thing mm-hmm. he's got. That shit is... And talking about masterpieces, Ennio Morricone, everybody says this is his greatest... This is the greatest cinematic score ever. And they didn't do the documentation to have him nominated for an Oscar for score. That's... And it's so vital. That is one of my favorite uh, platforms throughout the Oscars is watching score, best song, because Mm. score is so important. And it is in this movie because it's absolutely beautiful. And I guess Deborah's theme was supposed to be score for another movie and someone rejected it and it's just like how do you reject a song that's that beautiful and it's so versatile that's the crazy thing like because any morricone i think we could probably safely say is one of if not the greatest composer for cinema one of one of yeah one he, of. there's he isn't so like many... the top five right? yeah because can't you know can't <laughs> knock out john williams <laughs> we, we understand star yes. wars forever girl over uh, here everything not just star wars <laughs> but yeah, Ennio Morricone, he turns this in, and it's gonna be his... It's it's like a masterpiece score. Mm. It's beautiful. It melds the cinema. It makes this almost run like a silent film. Yeah. And he doesn't get the Oscar because the production just decides to say fuck it. Yeah. And not only that, this movie also took so long to make. Mm-hmm. He finished the entirety of the score, like, halfway through production. And they were able to actually play the score on set. 
so that the actors were able to kind of move through the movie and hear that the way that it would be portrayed on the big screen, which I think is cool, but I also thought it was really a smart decision to incorporate the pan flute into Cockeye. Yeah. So it's like, not just you're hearing it, you're seeing him physically play the pan flute, and it's like, it, it, it makes... pulls it from non-diegetic to diegetic. It, it makes it more realistic, too. It doesn't feel like you're, like, in this fantasy, this once upon a time. It's like, no, you feel like you're there with them on the streets, and it's the 1920s. There's not that much to do. So, of course, a kid has, you know, has a, little a, pan flute a pan gig. flute or, you know, some sort of instrument with them to keep them entertained. That's another thing about the parts of this movie is the movie just breathes so much. Because, like you're saying, it feels so, like, real because everything seems so gritty. Yeah. And a lot of gangster flicks that we've seen where they're portraying old New York, it's, it's like a little bit more glamorous. Yeah. You made a point that this movie is not glamorous at all to like the gangster lifestyle. No, I mean, we do see glamour when they have their own speakeasy and they have, you know, millions of dollars and they're in tuxedos, but they're still the same kids that were out on the street. You know, it's like they could be in this expensive place, you know, surrounded by any kind of booze they want and money but it's like that's not them yeah and that's kind of what deborah makes a point of because noodles is in love with deborah she's mo's uh sister and she's gonna be this actress she's like this child prodigy she's dancer. a dancer and even when we first see her she's dancing but it's like you could tell that this little girl is very structured and determined to accomplish her dreams and Noodles is just head over heels in love with her, but her whole thing is, you know, she at first it's like she's he's like she's like Noodles, you're just not good enough for me, mm -hmm. which is kind of messed up to say, but it's kind of like she's not a hundred percent wrong about it because yeah. Noodles is is really okay being like a street thug, yeah, and he's okay being you know like a. a dirty gangster you know just roughing guys up for for pocket money he likes rolling people mm -hmm. and deborah's like i want to be somebody mm -hmm. i don't want to be your girl who just sits at home i want and to be waits an for you and waits for you not knowing if you're gonna get home mm -hmm. and it's it's a really interesting thing and also um the the sequence you're talking about where it's young uh, Jennifer Connelly yes. playing Deborah and she's doing the ballet mm -hmm. and Noodles is peeking through the window or not the window the through little, the bathroom through the bathroom slot I love that scene yeah it is really beautiful and it says so much about both their characters to begin with because he's peeking she kind of knows and you know she gives him you know a little a little flash or whatever yeah. and it's this it's this really weird like sexualized scene mm -hmm. of like these two adolescents being really in love with each other but they know they can't be a be together and yeah. he's just peeking in at her life and she's you know wants him on that side but she knows he can never be there it's, mm -hmm. it's a really beautifully composed sequence and it's not even you know he can't be there it's his actions that are causing him from not being able to be there with her and mm -hmm. it's like she kind of wants him but at the same time only negativity is going to come with him in her life. Yeah, and it comes up in a big way later on in the movie. Yeah, it does. It's <laughs> very graphic and very sad. Yeah, we'll we'll get to that part later on, but the movie is gorgeous. Yeah. I'm assuming it's shot on film. This is the 80s. <laughs> oh, definitely. definitely. So it's like it really gives you that I don't know. 
it gives me like a warm feeling anytime I see something shot on film because it, it feels very raw and real. And like I said earlier, I felt like I was there with them walking through the streets of Brooklyn and just seeing the building, seeing the bridge. And it's just like, he, you know, he did a really good job of, you know, making somebody feel like they're experiencing this movie full through. Oh, yeah. And that that just goes into not only Sergio Leone's direction, because he makes every time era have a distinct like look to it. When they're in 68, it's very cold. And when it's in the 1920s, it's very like warm. It almost has that like golden hue over everything. Mm-hmm. And, but what else contributes to this is our actors, Robert De Niro and James Woods, who are playing basically our leads. They're the only ones who show up throughout the movie, right? Well, considering uh, James Woods doesn't show up till much later in the movie. (laughs) He shows up like, what, an hour plus in and he's like second billing? (laughs) Yeah, but it's, we're mostly stuck with Robert De Niro and the kids. Yeah, well. We spend a lot of time with the kids. We spend about an hour hour with them as kids and it is a that's a great great sequence in the movie where it's it's just the kids yeah and it's interesting to see the the youngest one dominic Mm -hmm. where he's trying to you know broker deals and you know come on we're the best of the best (laughs) and it's like you've got to be like six years old and you want to be haven't even dropped son you don't have any it's like (laughs) you're a little boy and you're over here trying to you know flip drunk men it's just like what is going on and it's it is such a funny bit of the movie because they're these like just street gang kids and they're trying to act like the big tough gangsters and so, and they get like their ass beat yeah right by uh Bugsy Bugsy and his teenage gang Bugsy and his teenage gang and but they still blackmail one of the cops and it's it's oh my God. it's so funny and they're. And then it's one of these things where they finally get that bit of success. They finally get a job of like the real mafiosos. Mm-hmm. And that's when Bugsy comes for his revenge. And Dominic. Noodles. I slipped. That, that hurt, right? It did. And it's like, and I knew something was going to happen to him. I'm like, I just had this gut feeling. And then you see him at the end of the uh, the tunnel. And I'm like, oh God, Dominic's just going to get it. I'm like, he finally got, you know, his little rich boy clothes. Because they were all pretty they were, fly. They were decked. They were, they were <laughs> riding styling. in style. Yes, yeah. ma'am. But it was just like, you know, poor Dominic. You know, a second ago, he was looking at the cash that they all... He said, okay, we're going to put 50% of our earnings in this. And this is all our money. No one takes it. And he was excited. Can I, you know, can I peek at it? And I it's just want to hold the money. And it's like, like a little boy at Christmas. You know, I want to peek at the presents. And then... He gets gunned down less than five minutes later. It's literally the next scene. It's like, oh my god! It's like, <laughs> it's like I foresaw it, but it was just like, please let me be wrong. I mean, but that's the thing about this movie. This movie is so brutal. Yeah. Because what is it? We get um, trigger warning. I guess uh, we get we get two rapes in this movie. We get like a, a ten... teenage prostitution. Teenage prostitution. I think we get like. More than a dozen people just gunned down. We get somebody. And I mean, it's not even. To death. It's not even gunned down. I mean, these are like brutal, like in your face. These are gangland shootings, and it's just like, my God, they didn't like spare any. Like, let's cut away for a second. It's like, no, we want you to see this person's head partially explode. Which you know, when you when you make the dollars trilogy, you don't shy away from the gunfights. I know, but man, poor Polly. <laughs> Poor Polly. 
<laughs> I did, was that just weird seeing Polly from Rocky show up? I mean, anytime when I see him in another movie other than Rocky, it's weird. But then it was like in this movie, like, Polly, no! Polly, no! <laughs> but yeah, he dies very brutally in oh, this yeah. movie. And but that's that's a big thing about this movie is it's way more brutal than other gangster flicks I've seen, right? Uh, it, I mean, it's up there. It's up there with Scarface because Scarface is pretty brutal too. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, I guess it's even different than Scarface in that way because, like, in Scarface, it, it's kind of like a power fantasy, right? Yeah. You know, it's that rags to riches where he's you know top of the world mm, and the world is yours. The world is yours, and then he dies at the end, and it's like, oh, spoiler! That movie is older than I am. All right. And you barely saw it, like. However long ago, so yeah, it was it was a block in my in my chain. All right, but in that, yeah, he dies at the end. But you're like kind of you're like yeah yeah he died, but man, he had a baller ass life before he went. In this, these guys don't even have that really. Like this no. is a really depressing look at the gangster lifestyle in cinema. But we kind of have that in Max, who is kind of in the Scarface kind of mentality, where it's like. I want it all, and Noodles is like, well, when is it going to be enough? And it's never enough. It's like, I'm going to keep crawling and crawling, even to the point where they're at the beach club, and it's like, well, we, we've got a million in the bank, but, well, how much more do you need? I'll stop and relax at, like, 50 million. Yeah, 50, and 60, like, 70 million And if you were to get up to 50 million, it probably still wouldn't be enough. Oh, God, no. And I mean, that's in 1930s money. Yeah. And I think, like, I, I'm not adjusting for inflation because I'm way too lazy for that. But if I had to eyeball it, that's well over like half a half a billion dollars. Yeah, so it's like we get to see kind of the different uh, mentalities that the kids have because Noodles is more loyalty, respect, and Max is more money and power. But even Noodles, I don't even know if he's all loyalty and respect. It's well, I mean, he's like loyalty he's more... and, and respect to his brothers yeah let's talk about that real quick because this movie is talking about a lot of things yeah. you know like friendship and betrayal and and loyalty and greed and regrets this there's a lot in this movie to kind of kind of unpack yeah so where where do you want to start like what do you think is the main like thematic i guess vibe the film's going on well i mean seeing it through and through it's loyalty because, I mean, up till the end, there is a lot of regret, but it's just, should we spoil the end? Oh, I mean, this movie is, is like, coming, Older up on than four, us. coming up on 40 years old, right? We can probably spoil it. Yeah. All right. So, a big plot point, plot twist that we get is that his brothers... So, Patty, Cockeye, Max... Max, all die, and it's kind of noodles fault because he's the one that dimes off the cops but he's trying to help max which is why he does it yeah he calls and, the cops with the intention of basically saving max by sending him to jail yeah because max's main plan is to rob the federal reserve which is a suicide mission mm -hmm. and noodles is like look we're just gonna get busted smuggling some booze we're gonna spend 18 months in jail and, and we'll that'll be back out on the streets we'll be back out on the streets but that 18 months is is gonna level max out he's not gonna be so high off the cuff to do something that fucking stupid as rob yeah. the federal reserve and it'll it'll be good but max gets pissed off at noodles and knocks him out and you know noodles thinks that his brothers are now dead 
not realizing that Max actually faked his death and, you know, has been living a life as, what is he, like a... a he's like, not a governor. He's like, like commissioner? Committee member. He's he's basically this, like, really rich, highfalutin, like, city guy with po- political... He's Donald Trump. That There you go. <laughs> I, I'm so, sorry I had to name him on the podcast, but yeah. he, that's basically what he turns into. The name we don't speak of, but yes, he, they finally come face to face, you know, Noodles finally figures out who hired him for this last job, and after talking to Deborah, we think, oh man, he's here because Max is gonna kill him, he's got this vendetta against him, and it's, no, I've wronged you, I am so sorry, I deserve to die, I'm already a dead man, and I want you to be the one that takes me out because it should be by you. And just seeing the kind of the conflict on Noodle's face, but it's ultimately, no, you're, you know, my oldest friend. Uh, My oldest friend died many years ago. And I hope you, you know, Mr. Senator, I think that's what he calls him. I hope you're able to figure out your troubles and um, move about your life in the correct way. That is interesting how you view Max's motivation for bringing Noodles in. Because I looked at it like Max knew he was going to die because he got in bed with somebody who's Mm -hmm. basically looking to knock him off. Yeah. And he wanted to go out on his own terms. Yeah. So that's why he brought Noodles in. He's like, if somebody's going to kill me, I want it to be... My best friend. I mean, he even named his son after him. Exactly. And it's... I always looked at it as Max being, like, extra greedy. Like, he still wants to be, he still wants that power even over his own death. I could see that. But I saw it more of kind of a guilt thing. It's like, you know, I let you think I've been dead this whole time. It's like, I could have found you, you know, maybe five years, ten years later. But basically, I made you exile yourself and live this life of solitude. Because as far as we know, Noodles doesn't have a family, children. So he's been on his own for about 30 years. Yeah. And probably... Not living the good life like Max was. And not only not living the good life, but Max stole his life. Yeah. Max marries Deborah, who was Noodles' love love of his life. He has the family that Noodles obviously (laughs) never had. Mm -hmm. He gets to live, exactly, that lap of luxury. He gets to have the money and the power that Noodles never got an opportunity to even partake in. The highest power they ever had were mid-level street thugs realistically like they owned a speakeasy and they did jobs and stuff but they were always middlemen for like the mob yeah they were they were guys the mob called up on you know saturdays to do do other jobs to do other jobs they weren't in in real power and now max has real power and the reckoning has come from because that's how these lives end right Mm -hmm. you know they don't end happy they either end like noodles where you go into hiding for a job and you just full of regret for the life you could never live because of the life or it's like max who yeah i got to live the life but it's gonna come back to get me i mean they're gonna spend the rest of my life in prison or, or i'm gonna get whacked yeah or you die young like patty and cockeye mm-hmm. man that the ending of this movie is really fucking good i mm, there's, there's a lot to buy I, in I, I was pissed off at the ending that we don't really get an answer that you, you have to interpret you it on am, your you hate ambiguity yeah it's like i like having uh closure yeah and this is one of those movies where you don't get closure i mean i researched it and you know i read articles with james wood where i was like i wasn't there to film that scene that was a body double that was at the end of the driveway 
Uh, and should, he said, should we lay out the scene for the audience you here? You can lay out the scene, because I'm not going to do it. It pisses me off. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the actual final scene, because after Noodles basically refuses to kill Max, and he's like... He, he takes the high road. Noodles, he's walking out of uh, Max's big estate, and he turns around as this garbage truck's about to like pull out of, of the house, right? Yeah. And he sees somebody that looks like Max, and the truck passes in front, a second and then as the truck's driving away the person is gone and we see the back of the truck it's just this grinding um you see the blades moving yeah the blades of like an old um garbage truck which is grinding up the trash even almost like um like a tree trimmer yeah where it's you know it's constantly moving but you never see any blood on the blades and for being a you know a gory bloody movie you'd figure you'd see it exactly so, so it, and that's the implication did max jump into the grinder to kill himself or, or did, did he, he sneak away again because he's done this before so why wouldn't he be able to sneak away in the middle of the night and be somebody else it's just a really interesting ending and i wonder your thoughts on it well, that's not, you know, fully the ending because we have the cars going by with the people that are dressed like they're from the 1920s. And, and they're playing Godless America, which plays at the beginning, beginning of, the of the film. Movie. But, you know, they're drinking like at the end of Prohibition. And then we see Noodles on the opium bed like we see him in the beginning of the movie. And, you know, he just has this smile on his face. So it, you can interpret it. Okay, maybe he is having an opium dream. Maybe he's overdosing and this is just... His his final thoughts before he slips away. Exactly. This could be something that he's creating in his head to kind of, you know, come full circle and get closure of his own before he dies. Or it's a good high and he's just smiling. And I was just like, what the fuck? Do you... Okay. Do you think the movie is the... I guess what theory do you subscribe to? Is this an opium dream? Did Max die at the end? Like, is this real? Is this not? Is this just the memories of an old man who's kind of slipping in his old age and this recollection starts to, like, his memories and his reality starts merging together? Like, what, I, what do you think? I thinking? don't know. I mean, I've been back and forth trying to, you know, figure it out. I'm kind of more leaning. It's more of an opium dream mm. because we don't see old noodles die. But we see old noodles seeing people from the 1920s in the end, so it's like, so maybe it's just a manifestation of things in his head. But it's just a trip. And it's just like, I want a straight answer. It's like, I hate when movies do that. I, I know. There's a reason you're not a fan of the thing, because that is just an open ending. It is. And it's like, I like knowing okay, this is the end, or there's going to be a part two, a part three, a part four. <laughs> that, that's why you love Halloween. You're just like, even though the ending's ambiguous, I got like nine movies after to figure it out. Exactly. You know, oh, his Michael's body's gone? Well, we're going to see him for round two, you know, round nine, <laughs> ni round 12. It's like, we're good. I'll see you again, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's just such a, like the ending of that movie... I love ambiguous endings because it really lets you sit and process and think and, and like chew on it. And I guess like the, the practicality of it is personally, I think Max did jump into the grinder and I think what we're seeing is real, but I think that Noodles is dying. Mm -hmm. I think like he came back and he make, he mentions to Max that, you know, oh, my hands are shake. I can't really see too good. Mm -hmm. And it's brought up a lot that 
Noodles is this aging man. He's he's worn down. He's a broken down person. Yeah. His life is nothing but regrets. And I'm thinking as the movie the movie's comes to a conclusion, Noodles is is like already slipping away a little bit. Like he's probably going to die very soon of either old age, of like maybe maybe the shaking hands is like maybe he has Parkinson's or maybe maybe there's something else. Like he has cancer or something. Yeah. And He's, he is like reflecting on his life. And when he sees those people of the thirties coming through and a prohibition, the drinking, I almost feel that when he sees those people passing by, that's his memory kind of breaking up. Cause we were in flashbacks throughout the whole movie yeah. and it's breaking up. And when he sees Max die, he's remembers the time when things were good mm -hmm. and he wants to relive those moments before he's gone. You know, I really does... thought he was going to step out in front of one of those cars. I thought I'm like Me they're going to they're going to die together. Me too. I thought that's what was going to happen. He was just going to like he what is it? He was going to baseball slide mm. underneath one of those Model Ts. I just thought, you know, there's probably a third one coming and that's where he's going to step and that's where the movie ends. You know, the best friends die with each other and no. It, also, it is so their friendship is so weird. Because I've heard people say that, you know, Max is gay and he's in love with Noodles. I've heard that interpretation before. Mm. Because every time Noodles is, like, with a girl, Max has, like, a thing about it. Where, okay, he, he either drives him away or he takes him from Noodles because yeah. he wants Noodles to always be free for him. And when they're on the roof with the, um, with the teenage prostitute. Yeah. And... <laughs> Right after Noodles is done with her, like he goes in and she makes a comment. It's like, oh, don't worry, it happens to everybody. Implying yeah. he's he hasn't he's having trouble. Yeah, and I'm like, bro, you are a teenage boy, and this woman is is DTF. There are issues here, so I'm I've always been curious about that. Do you think there's a um, more of a, like romantic love from Max to Noodles in here? Um, I don't know. I mean. I could see how it would be conveyed that way. But, you know, they also meet each other and they hate each other right off the bat. And it's just like, you know, they're ready to throw down in the streets. And it's kind of like more of like a brotherhood where it's like, well, I hate you. But at the same time. Oh, we call that foreplay. <laughs> oh, wow. We're learning a lot of things on this podcast tonight. <laughs> but no, I get, I get what you mean. It, the bromance is strong. Yeah. And I think that's more or less what it is. It's just Max is the older one, so it's like, oh, Noodles has a girl? Well, I'm going to take her and she's going to be mine forever. Or, you know, well, Noodles already touched her. Well, you know, great. Now I really don't have any feelings towards her. It's just the one-upsmanship, you know. Mm -hmm. I got to be the boss. Well, no, I want to be the boss. And we see it, like, when they're at the train station putting the money away and they're coming with the terms. And Noodles, the last one to agree to everything. Yeah. Max is like, we're going to do this, you know, X, Y, and Z. And everyone's like, okay, that sounds good. And then, you know, Noodles, yeah, you know, I, I can agree with that. It, it is interesting because there's this whole power dynamic between the two of them. Mm -hmm. Because at first, Noodles is the leader of their, like, little gang, yeah. right? And they're rolling drunks and they're lighting newsstands on fire mm -hmm. for people who don't pay. And then Max comes in and Max has the, the grand ideas, right? It's more organized. It's a little bit more organized and their sights are set a little bit higher. But once... You know, they're really confronted by something because they're shaking the boat. Yeah. Max is like, well, fuck me. Being the boss sucks. Yeah. 
And Noodles is like, this is why, you know, I, I'm okay being a street guy. You go too high, you're eventually, that fall is going to be way harder. And it's, uh, we started, we started this little section by talking about the, the ending of the movie, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, so we already talked about the ending. Now we're kind of talking about how things kind of tie with the ending. Yeah, all those themes in there. Because... Yeah, because if you don't know the ending of the movie, things start to get a little confusing. And now that I've seen it in its entirety, it's like, okay, now things are making more sense. And I kind of get how, you know, we got from here to there. But there's just a lot going on <laughs> there, in this movie. There is. Like, one of the biggest themes that I pulled out of it was just that regret. Because yeah. Noodles is is just full of regret for the life he had and the life he led and the life he lost. And it's And the so, people that he lost. The, exactly. It because I think at the end of every little section there's something horrible that's happened before he comes back to, you know, mm -hmm. present day or nineteen sixty eight. I mean, for the kid section, Dominic dies, and then he comes back to the present. And I mean, Dominic dies in his arms. And it's just like, it doesn't get more brutal than that. And then, you know, a few minutes later, he, you know, kills one person and wounds another. So it's just, it's a rough go. And from his character, he has a rough life with, like, talking about his mm. parents, you know, lights are out. My mom's crying, that means my dad already beat her up. Or it, I think he says, my mom's crying, my dad's praying, or something like that. Yeah. It's it's a really weird comment he makes, because I'm like, did did the dad beat her up? And or then is it, he's or praying they, for forgiveness. Forgiveness, or they just did, like, a shit situation, and he's, like, praying to make rant, and she's crying because she knows it's not going to happen. Yeah. Like, or is it just a thing where it was... They know that something horrible is happening. And... and then seeing that, you know, he's not comfortable with going home and he'd rather be in a bathroom where he could read and be safe. Yeah. It's a, it's a fascinating movie. I'm going to keep saying that. This is a fascinating movie. But what? Oh, fuck. What was I talking about? Uh, What were you talking about? I talk about too many things. Yeah, you say a lot of things. The regret. Yeah. The regret. Yeah. But not only that... um the regret of all the lives lost it's even the loves he's lost and he loses deborah right yeah and the sequence ends with with deborah with trigger warning this is we'll talk about this sequence yeah you would call this the most uncomfortable sequence in the entirety of the uh, uh movie one of them there's a few sequences that are uncomfortable but this one is the most aggressive yeah and it's just like in all the sequences you want to help the girls that are in danger, but in this one, it's just really, she's trapped in a confined space, and even the driver isn't helping her, and it's just like, what is going on here? Yeah, so, trigger warning. Yeah. The sequence where Noodles loses Deborah basically forever, is is a rape sequence. Yeah. And what happens in the buildup is Noodles, he's basically got the money he he always wanted he's able to basically spend it on whatever and he takes deborah to this beautiful restaurant on the shore and it's going to be this beautiful affair and they're going to sit in this alone because he bought out the restaurant they're going to sit by the window so they can look out on the beach that restaurant was actually shot in venice i heard about that <laughs> and it's just like yeah i could believe it by the the grandeur and the beauty of you know that open window and being able to see the water and just the amount of staff that were on hand and the, you know what? You pick whatever table you want to sit at. The opulence of yes. this restaurant is insane. 
and afterwards they go out on the beach and they talk about their lives and it and the and he recites a, a song of songs to her and it's a very beautiful romantic sequence yeah and taking her back to childhood because she would read poetry that was her big thing and it's like it stuck with him and he was like you know what i'm going to woo her by reading poetry to her and deborah deborah reveals that she always thought that noodles wasn't like good enough for her right mm -hmm. and it's a thing where she didn't, it wasn't like she didn't love him. Yeah. She wanted to. But she knew that if she stayed and, and was with Noodles, that she would just become the housewife. She'd be locked away in a little room and just waiting for for him. Yeah. And she was almost okay with that. But that's not what she wanted. She no. wanted to be the actress. She wanted to do things with her life. She wanted to be somebody. Yeah, and we see it early on with her young character that her dad was very okay with oh, you're late because you, you know you had practice or you were doing this, that's totally fine. You know, just go in there and lock up after yourself. So it's not this thing of, you know, everyone's trying to hold me down. It's actually people are lifting her up. And it's like, you've got this tiny anchor that's kind of holding you down and you just have to decide, do I cut the anchor now or do I let him hold me down and just make me miserable? And And that's the thing, because I feel like she wouldn't be miserable. I mean, she she seems legitimately to care for noodles, and but the lifestyle would make her miserable. That's the point, yeah. Because even when they're in the restaurant and they're ordering, Deborah is a very like learned woman. She mm -hmm. she orders everything in French. She yeah. talks to the waiter in in French, and noodles just says, "I'll have the same thing." Yeah, and they're like, "What kind of wine do you want?" And Deborah orders mm. her wine, and he's like, "I'll have the same thing," because noodles, even though he has all the money and power and everything. In that, it's very revealing that he's still the same thug kid who's rolling drunks. Yeah, I mean, he was in jail for, what, like 13 years? Yeah. And then, you know, he gets brought back into the real world, but he doesn't go anywhere apart from his four corners of the world. Yeah. Versus Deborah, where she's traveled and she's been places and she's, you know, gained she, culture. She knows things. She, yeah. She's a fully well-rounded human being. Yeah. And then they're driving home. And Noodles is kind of disillusioned by it because even though Deborah basically admitted that, yeah, she loves him, mm -hmm. but she can never be with him. Yeah. And they're driving home. And then Deborah tries to engage in a, like, romantic gesture. Like, she goes up and she kisses him and she's trying to be intimate, yeah. right? But Noodles, and this is the thing, because throughout the movie, it's established that Noodles will stick his dick in basically anything. Yeah. And he's far more just doing it for the mechanics. I don't think he has, like, a real loving relationship with any woman in the movie. No. And then he just he just attacks her. He just... He, ba he straight up rapes her. He does. And it's really brutal. And it's there, it doesn't cut away. You see everything. It's yeah. very graphic. And it's so ungodly uncomfortable. And she's just screaming the entire time. And it's like, you'd think... He'd break away, he'd stop, he'd snap out of it, and no, he is just gone. Oh, and he he gets what he wants, and mm -hmm. it's and it's a thing where you you expected it from his character, but you wouldn't expect him to do it to Deborah. Exactly, and it's it's such a rough sequence, but it says so much about not only Noodles but all these gangsters that they've seen mm -hmm. because they're people more obsessed with their equipment and not the intimacy they use they should be using it yeah. for and it's just such a a hard sequence to watch but i don't think the movie works without it for that relationship 
Yeah, I mean, it's very, very difficult to watch it and to see them meet at, again at the ending. And I really thought she was going to turn them away and be like, you know, oh, you're back again. Like, I left you however many years ago. That was final. No, she still takes the time to talk to him. And you can still see that there's love there. But again, it's it still can never be. And it might have maybe been a little nugget of it could have been, but he ruined it with, you know, getting what he wanted. It's so sad because obviously it's sad for Deborah because yeah he does that to her and it's it's a thing where he he cuts that anchor now she can do whatever she wants she has no Mm -hmm. connection to to wherever she was before now and she rises up been and she becomes this world-renowned actress she so you know plays on Broadway and she she's she's gotten her dream and then seeing noodles again as he's an old broken down man and she's still a very young youthful looking woman yeah and it's like you know you probably could have been looking like that if you had just cleaned up your act you know be be I mean, more humane i mean maybe maybe not so so much as like you could have maintained the fountain of youth if you were just not a fuck up but well, it, I mean, it is a thing yeah where, you know she he he's a guy from the streets and it doesn't really look like he's evolved too much i mean even down to his clothing, it looks like he's dressed in the same clothes that he was wearing in the 30s. So it's just kind of, he's a man stuck in his ways and he doesn't know how to break out of that fourth wall of, you know, hey, I gotta evolve a little bit. I gotta, you know, take care of myself. And But then there's the, the opposing side of this, right? Where Max, Max somebody who does evolve. Yeah. And Deborah goes with Max, but Max is ending up in a worse position than Noodles. Yeah. Because Noodles, yeah, he's he's stuck in his ways, but he removed himself. You know, he, he's been in hiding. Max, he evolved and stayed, and now he's completely fucked. Yeah. But that that sequence is, is so just telling of all these guys. Because these gangsters are just brutal and monstrous. The movie is beautiful and poetic about these characters who are thugs and criminals and horrible human beings. Yeah. They're murderers, they're rapists, they're killers, they're thieves. Mm-hmm. And it this might be the best mobster movie I've ever seen. <laughs> it's high up there. I've got my opinions for what my number one is, but yeah. we'll reveal that at a later time. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's an experience. It doesn't feel like a movie. It feels like you're stepping into their lives and kind of seeing their entire lifespan and it's very surreal yeah which is great surreal it's heartbreaking to see the characters and why they kind of chose this life and the loves that could have been you know seeing young deborah tell him you know well you know your mom's calling you every time max is you know hey you got to come out here and it's just you know you kind of see it in her face of you know don't go Stay with me instead of, you know, going to that call. But And then after he gets his ass kicked and he calls like, Debra, let me in. And she just waits just on the other side of the door and not lets him in because... Because she knows if she lets him in and takes care of him, that is going to be the rest of her life. Cleaning him up after every fight, after every gunfight. And that... it's just, it's not worth it. It tells so... There is so much said about the character of Debra when she has so few lines yeah we get so much from these characters even though they don't really there's not a lot of dialogue in the movie 
That is, this is a masterpiece of direction. Yeah, it's a really good movie. <laughs> it's a really good it's movie. It's a really good movie. Yeah. So, um, I guess, on that point, would you recommend? I would recommend if you have about five hours to spare, because <laughs> this is not one of those movies that you could just flip on, you know, oh yeah, I'm bored, let's watch this. Uh, it takes some time and dedication to make sure that you're seeing everything that this movie has to offer. I mean, I'll agree with you. You do need you need to set out a full afternoon for the movie. Yeah. This is not a 90-minute, you know, barn burner. You turn it on and you just run through it. You kind of got to, you know, sit down, use the intermission when it comes up, even though the intermission is like, like the three-hour mark. So you got like an hour left And after. it's like a two, one-and-a-half-minute intermission because, oh, it's the DVD cut, so we <laughs> yeah. don't really need the intermission anymore. Yeah. Just pause it when you need to, you know, do whatever. But I would so recommend this movie. I think it's really fascinating. It's not for everybody. It's really violent. It, there's yeah. a lot of there's a lot of things in there that will turn your stomach, you know, for the for the faint of heart. But if you love cinema and if you love character study and if you love gangster flicks, this one is par excellence. But wow, you had to break out the French this time. We been them. Uh, but uh, watch the three uh, three hour forty nine minute cut. Don't watch the the. American theatrical cut. Don't do that one. And be warned, there is some graphic things in this movie, so if you are sensitive to certain things, you might want to avoid it, because there's a lot of really difficult topics that are dealt with in this movie. So difficult, we mentioned it twice. And they don't shy away from showing it. They show you everything, and it's very hard to watch it. But other than that, the movie in itself is great. Two, two big thumbs up. Yes. But... With that, Boo, what are we watching next week? Because this is your gangster movie month, because you love the mobsters, you love the mob movies. What's next? I do, and to keep up with this theme of this episode, I'm going to watch another movie that I haven't seen before, but apparently you have. We're going to be watching The Untouchables. Oh, all right. I like The Untouchables. It's got Sean Connery in it. Uh, Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner. Uh, and Robert De Niro. Robert Robert De Niro. And also, that's a Brian De Palma movie, if I'm not mistaken. I believe so. Yeah, I, I'm excited for this one. I'm surprised you've never seen it before. Like I said, I want to do a mobster movie and see, you know, some movies that I haven't seen and some movies that I absolutely adore. Well, that's going to be perfect, but uh, you're going to have to wait until next week to watch that one. That's right. But if you want to follow us on a different platform than you currently are, you can find us on Anchor FM, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Yeah, you can go to our YouTube channel in the frame. That's in the frame at YouTube. You can comment, subscribe, bell, something, yada yada. I don't know, just go watch our videos on YouTube. It's a lot of fun. It is, and if you want to follow us on social media, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at the Film Club Podcast. And with that, Miss Boo, we'll see you next week at the film club. Have a good week, everybody. Bye.